0: in mean, this world is my boss my word the African anti-territual Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall
1: someone should tell that crowd you don't have to take your clothes off Amanda Jones is no minor leaguer who will be swept off her feet at the touch of your amateur lips oh Mr. Butterfingers. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. I love you guys. Hey, hey, hey. It's the big master control program everybody's been talking about.
2: I'm so sure. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This here is our fluorescent Decade on a Hill podcast where we talk about all the mostly cool stuff that went down in the 1980s. And if the decade had a president that embodied the times, it was Ronald Reagan. My buddy, brother MacDaddy McWilliams, is going to help me discuss the president's life and journey to the most powerful position on the planet. But as a quick sketch, Ronald Wilson Reagan was born in 1911 to a poor family in Tampico, Illinois. While in Illinois, he worked as a lifeguard and radio sports announcer, graduated from Eureka College, and eventually got a screen test in 1937 that began his career as an actor in the film industry. While an actor, he became president of the Screen Actors Guild Union, went on to work as a spokesman for General Electric, and eventually was elected governor of California in 1967, serving two terms. He became president of the United States in 1981, also serving two terms, his second election, seeing Reagan carrying 49 of the 50 states. In 1994, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and slowly withdrew from public life, dying in 2004 at the age of 93. Hopefully this will go better than when me and Dub tried to do songs we hated from the 80s. <laughs> uh, it went pretty bad. I realize I'm not a very good commentator on pop culture, but... So... As our, somewhat of a guide, or a skeletal
1: guide, we used a book. Reagan, the Life by H.W. Brands. I read the book, and Tim, you listened to the audiobook. Right. Right. Which I have to admit, the
2: audio book, I didn't like the narrator, which it kind of tainted it a little bit. It seemed like the narrator was a little bit cynical. Was it the author? I don't think so. It was one no. of those professionals. Whenever he he'd read a quote, it made everybody sound sappy. Oh. You know? Maybe the the narrator didn't like Reagan. Mm. And I'll go ahead and say this from the beginning. If you hate Reagan, if you think that, you know, the guy strangles babies when no one's looking, <laughs> you know, then, you, first of all, you, you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. because you need to to grow up because this is history and even well, was a blind pig finds an acorn every once in a while. You could look at it that way. <laughs> if you hate anybody with that much passion, that a lot of people hate Reagan with. He's a very polarizing figure. You probably also don't like yourself i yeah. just throw that psychology in there for you. And, uh, hey, we've all been there, man. Right. By the same token, if you think Reagan walked on water, you probably also have a problem. Uh, you're not realistic. And right. a- every person is flawed. So we're going to talk about both his uh, achievements and uh, maybe some of his flaws as well. Yeah. In your opinion, I'll go ahead and ask you
1: this. This book, was it pro-Reagan, anti-Reagan, or what? I think it was mostly neutral. I think it told definitely his flaws. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of his achievements, like the nuclear deals he was able to make with Russia, with Gorbachev.
2: I feel like it had a overall negative tone. Like, it seemed all his achievements were accidents, the way the guy wrote it. And maybe that wasn't intention, but that is kind of a... It seems like most people on the left, if you can get them to admit that Reagan did anything right, it's always with, well, that was an accident, or he was just a, an, an amiable old dunce who somehow wandered on the stage at the right time. Thing. Right. One thing that he kind of presented Reagan as a very simple-minded mm-hmm. The author. And I would agree that his speeches and the way he talked to people was very simple. He's, right. He was the great communicator. And most things he said, nobody had any confusion about. Yeah, because he's down to earth and right to
1: explain things to people. No.
2: But what he didn't mention was, and I just actually learned this from another podcast, I think a Libertarian podcast, which they have mixed feelings about Reagan, but he was actually an intellectual. He just never did broadcast it. And the evidence that they gave was, you know, the piles of books that he was always reading and sometimes quoting from was like uh, von Mises from the Austrian school of economics, which is very difficult reading. Uh, Friedrich Hayek, Alexis de Tocqueville. and All that stuff is very difficult to read. So anyway, I just want to make that
1: point. Well, I think, too, he was wanting to get away from... Like when he ran against Carter and, and beat him, Carter was seen as very elitist. Carter tried to quote different, you know, intellectuals and stuff that yeah. probably the average American's never heard of. And Reagan stayed away from that. You know, he, he quoted a lot of people like Lincoln, FDR, but he kept it more simple quotes from mm. from people he, had, he admired.
2: Yeah, and so much to Carter's credit, he was using words that a lot of people would have to look up, like the great malaise speech. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many people would actually know what
1: Malay's meant. Don't you put it on bread? <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> when I read the book, I, I didn't know much about Reagan. The only thing I remember is he started with 81? Yeah. So I was 10 at the time. Of course, when you're that young, you just don't sit there and... Most kids don't follow politics and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the few speeches that I remember of his, I, I do remember when the shuttle exploded. Mm-hmm. I remember that speech that night.
0: And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger Seven, were aware of the dangers, but overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes, Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe. We mourn their loss as a nation together.
1: And then, too, as I got older, Bush took over in 90... In 89. Yeah, 89. So I was graduating high school. We were graduating high school, I should say, when he got out of office. Towards the end, I just kind of remember... The last couple of years, he was just—he seemed like really confused and mm-hmm. so like that. I do remember that about him. Like he just kind of didn't know. I think he knew where he was at. but some—he seemed a little he, aimless. Yeah, yeah aimless. And that's another thing that the book I would
2: criticize because he did talk about after his presidency about the onset of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. especially as it regards to his testimony with the Iron Contra. because that investigation went on after his presidency. Yeah, he was interviewed after he left office. Yeah, and it what, one
1: year, two years after he left yeah, office. Yeah, and there
2: was one of the interviews, which they have videotape of, that he just doesn't remember anything. Right. I mean, and it's... People's names. He doesn't remember what they did. Dates. Yeah, it's bad. But even while he was president, and this is something that the author didn't mention, there were days that some of the president's men thought what they could tell something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And there was there was even at one point where they had actually had a quiet meeting with his staff, I think, and they were talking about possibly removing him from office. Right. And he didn't mention that at all. But then they would, when they went to run it by somebody, and
1: they would go talk to the president, he would be totally fine. It was just on or off, you know. Right. Well, something we didn't, or I didn't mention earlier, is that I read a follow up book to the H. W. Brands book was uh, Killing Reagan by Bill O'Reilly. And that is mentioned in that book about the meeting that they had. Ron Jr. was in the meeting wow. as well. And they were all they had a meeting just about, you know, policy and stuff going on. Just a regular meeting. And there was people in there to assess his mental capacity, right? right. People with Alzheimer's, like early stage they have good days and bad days, and it mentioned that, you know, Reagan had good days and bad days. Mm-hmm. And usually with Alzheimer's Usually, when they, in the evening when they're getting tired, that's when you know they're not as sharp. And I think they had this meeting in the morning, probably when he was alert and having a good day. But my thing is, I was thinking when I read the book or when it came to that section, is in that meeting though, if he had a bad day, what would they have done? I mean, because usually people with early stage Alzheimer's they'll deny of course. that they've got anything wrong with them. But so how would they force him? to resign. Well, I think according to the Constitution,
2: I'm not a law scholar, but there is a provision in there. I think they mentioned it's the 25th Amendment. Yeah, so they would have to have a meeting of doctors, vice president, the Speaker of the House. It would have to be a consensus, I think. And Don't quote us. We're not legal scholars, but I I do know it's come up. And um, here's a little fun fact. I I, uh, saw on one of the 1980s Twitters that I follow uh, that Reagan was the first one to actually ever hand over power temporarily to George H.W. Bush for just a day or two when he was having mm-hmm. surgery. Yep. So that was the first time that that had ever
1: been used. He used to be in broadcasting when he first started out. Sports. Yeah. It was sports. He was wanting to become an actor. The One of the teams, the baseball teams he was following, had a spring training. training in, was it Catalina? Somewhere in
2: California. Yeah. close enough. It, was,
1: it was like an island. You had to like take a ferry to it. And then they had some bad weather there and the ferry wasn't going out. So he actually had a friend, a female friend, that was an actress. And she like was able to get him kind of see behind the scenes and stuff. And I think she got him an audition.
2: Yeah, according to this book, I think he convinced the radio station managers, because he was at either in Iowa or Illinois at that point, and he convinced them to let him go cover the spring training. Kind of ulterior motives to try to right. see Hollywood, because this gal his friend had been telling him you need to come out and give it a try
1: I think he first signed with was it Warner Brothers was it Jack Warner Jack
2: Warner was the president
1: yeah Yeah. and I guess he did some screen testing and stuff Mm -hmm. Jack Warner saw I guess all the new actors and stuff and he he liked him and then he started putting him in movies and we're anxious to forgive
0: and forget Colonel Bates
1: you want to forget years of persecuting a girl whose only crime was growing up to be fine and
0: decent you should be asking Mary Hagan to forgive you
1: I think when he first started out, there was mostly B movies. Yeah, his career kind of started at the end of a B movies. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of towards the middle of his movie star career, he was able to get into a handful of, you know, A list movies and right. stuff.
2: He was rarely the star of the good movies. He was always like supporting Errol Flynn or some other more popular, you know, actors. And I will say this, and this is something I did want to cover in another podcast at some point was one of the best films that Reagan is in is called Storm War. Good
0: reporter could dig up a lot of stuff about the Klan, couldn't he? Might even say it was all a phony, a private money-making racket. Maybe he could prove it, too. They lived long enough.
2: And I remember my mom being from Alabama, she talked a little bit about the Ku Klux Klan and just the reality of what they were. And it's not exactly how it was presented you know, on TV and movies right. these days, but... This movie deals with the Ku Klux Klan and how they operate. And Reagan plays a lawyer who is trying to convict the Klan of um, a murder of a journalist. And the way my mom described it, uh, who, people who actually had to live with them around and uh, intimidating everybody, uh, this movie seemed to get it right. Right. Uh, and that's the first time I'd ever seen it, like she had described. What's it called? Storm Warning.
1: I don't remember that mention in the book.
2: That's the thing. Like, I happened to see it because one of the janitors at one of the places I worked was a old movie buff, and he liked Reagan, and so he had this collection of Reagan films. And so he just was feeding them to me, and that one really stood out. I even lent it to some of my uh, liberal Democrat friends, and they even agreed, like in spite of Reagan in it because you know they, they want to spit at you know on the ground when they see him but right. it was a great movie. You know he's known mainly for King's Row where he played a guy that lost his legs for some yeah, reason. Nice him to
0: up. Randy 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 Where's the rest of me? Uh, Newt Rockney All-American someday when the team's up against it. Breaks are beating the boys. Ask them to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the Kipper.
2: I don't think it's that good. It's
1: real corny of that age. Like, everybody's like, well, golly gee, you know? Right, and And then I guess what happened was World War II was going on, Mm -hmm. and then I think he enlisted in the Army, and they had him doing, I guess, like promotional... Movies.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, propaganda films. Because his vision was so bad, right? Uh, he couldn't do anything in the could army. could shoot straight. Yeah. And I, I know that he always wanted to be a real hero. And I know it, it was devastating, but, but at least he got to be part of the entertainment and help produce films, documentary films. In fact, there's a good little documentary. This speaks to one of my other passions of, about China and, and Asia. There's a documentary called The Stillwell Road, which is about the Americans and the British and the Indians and the Chinese building this brand new highway that to replace the one the Japanese had taken over to get supplies into a lot of these
0: forces that were cut off. Anyway, Ronald Reagan narrates it. This is the story of a bridge. It is a land bridge to China and its name is Burma. The main span of this bridge, the Burma Road, was started by the Chinese after the Japanese invasion of eastern China in 1937. According to one eyewitness, it was scratched out of the mountains with fingernails.
2: Again, it's propaganda, so it doesn't talk about how George Stilwell and Vinegar Joe, as they call him, and a lot of the other generals were fighting. Well, they would never
1: say that. No. Because also, too, these movies were set up to sell war bonds. Right, which he did a lot of that as well.
2: And we should mention that at that time that Reagan was a Democrat,
1: he uh, was an FDR Democrat. And then after the war was over, that's kind of when his acting career started going down. Like he was starting to get you know B movies. Yeah. And I think eventually, I think when his contract ended with Warner, they didn't resign him. Back up a little bit. One movie that he was considered for, history
2: would have been a lot different, I think, uh, had he got the role, was Casablanca. He was supposed to get Humphrey Bogart's role. Now, that film is so iconic, and especially with Humphrey
1: Bogart. I think they got the right guy. Yeah, But it would have been interesting to see Reagan in that part. Mm. Something interesting I found in the book. I guess he, since he had a college degree, I think he had an officer's position Mm. in the military. He was actually in charge of sending people to go out and do different stuff. Well, he sent this photographer into a, I think they were making like the early drones. Really? Yeah. And a lot of the people working there were females. Because, you know, all the men went off to war. Well, this guy went and, you know, photographed, you know, different women and the working and stuff. And one of them happened to be Marilyn Monroe. That yeah. was in the book? hmm huh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, her real name's what? Norma Jean? So Ronald Reagan, in a roundabout way, helped start <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's career. Yeah, but going back, his movie roles and stuff started to mention he lost his contract. And then I guess where he started getting into politics, he. I think at the time he was part of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. You had to be. Right. It was, to, it was to, compulsory. So he started getting involved with that, which eventually led him to being the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. Yeah, that's stuff I find interesting too because I love
2: Cold War history. And it's very much belittled and mocked about the whole Red Scare. But it was real, and either people just don't know history or they're trying to diminish the role that the Soviet Union did have in influencing not only Hollywood, but you know, the government, State Department, and other areas. And they were involved in the Screen Actors Guild and, and some other unions as well, and Reagan was one of the non-believers initially. He thought it was overblown and
1: people were just being paranoid. Well, he almost joined the Communist Party. I guess before this all started happening, you know, when people became afraid of the Soviet Union, a lot of the actors and stuff, some even the popular ones, were part of the Communist Party. And he felt that he might need to join to um, help his career out. How the story went was one of the guys that was in the Communist Party, he didn't think too much of Reagan, Mm -hmm. and he thought that if he joined, it wouldn't be, you know... For the Communist Party. Actually this guy was actually in the Communist Party he talked Reagan out of joining. Oh wow. I can't remember the exact scenario but found out the hard
2: way that they were entrenched mm-hmm. and he got death threats and started to carry a gun because people had been hurt and stabbed and oh, yeah. killed even. Again, it's a lot of things and I know this comes up a lot in these podcasts it seems like but the unions are pretty violent, and it's just not reported a lot. Mm-hmm. And me and you are both from Union County. We know full well how horrible they can be. All right. It doesn't get reported because the, the press kind of runs cover for them. When they had the House of Un-American Activities, one of the many hearings that they'd had, because they'd had those before, even during the something that the Democrats had started trying to find Nazis that were infiltrating everything, and that was a real thing as well. But he testified as a friendly witness, as they say. like He was willing to say what he knew, But he still warned the committee, even though he was opposed to communism, he says, ideologically, they should be allowed to exist. But if they are working for the Soviets, a foreign entity, especially the enemy, as they were, that's another story. And that's the reality. We
0: have done a pretty good job in our business of keeping those people's activities curtailed. After all, we must legally recognize them at the present as a political party. On that basis, we have exposed their lies when we came across them. We have been eminently successful in preventing them from their usual tactic of trying to run a majority of an organization with a well-organized minority.
2: Even with recently, as we record this, a movie came out about Trumbo, Dalton Trumbo, who was one of the Hollywood Ten, one of the ones who refused to testify and was in prison for a year. Mm-hmm. But he was actually fed stuff to propagate by the Soviet Union. It wasn't just he believed in you know, free love and equality and things like that,
1: he actually was an a- agent of a foreign entity. So right. he eventually became president. Screen Actors Guild. That's when he, I guess, fell in love with the politics of that. Um, during the time, some of the other unions, so there's a lot of different unions. Mm-hmm. Some for like writers and... The Carpenters. and Yeah, just yeah. every facet of, of making a movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them started going on strike. And then he actually went and kind of negotiated with them. And a lot of them eventually had to back down because they were starting to picket a lot of the, the entrances into the movie studios. And in the book, you know, Reagan is on a on a bus with the different actors and stuff and the picketers would actually start throwing rocks and stuff at the bucks. I think that went on for quite some time. That was one of the things in the book. He got that all squared away and settled down.
2: Interesting, kind of unrelated, but somewhat. There was a documentary about Walt Disney and the war effort, and the Roosevelt administration was trying to get South America onto the ally side because at that time they were kind of on the fence. They had a lot of German immigrants, so they were kind of siding with the Nazis and people like Eva Peron, you know, hid Nazis later on, mm-hmm. so they had that uh, leanings uh, towards Nazism, and so I can't remember what the, what the rationale was exactly, but the Roosevelt administration was wanting Disney to go down and do some, you know, South American theme cartoons and films, really, and, yeah, and well, Disney was like, well, that's fine, but right now I got a strike, you know, some communist or whoever. Have, organized some of my workers into a union and I can't get anything done Mm. and the FDR said don't worry about that somebody from the FDR administration don't worry about that I'll take care of it and the next day the strike was over really yeah that he had that much pull with the unions and they were cahoots you know so
1: did he eventually go down there
2: yeah yeah there's a couple famous cartoons there's one about the parrots or I can't remember
0: Pirates
1: of the Caribbean Uh, Yeah exactly
0: Walt Disney does it again For the merriest musical screen surprise of them all Is headed your way First a new personality is added to the Disney Hall Of famous characters Panchito the Mexican rooster A 2 gun charro Who joins his fine feathered friends Donald Duck and Joe Carioca Son of a gun, it's a pleasure to see such fine gentlemen
1: in Mexico. We're three caballeros, three gay caballeros,
0: they say. I don't know how
2: much it really helped, but they went on this kind of tour down there. And Disney was pretty popular in South America, and that may be why they asked him. Hmm. They sent this artist down there, and they would film, like, what do you call it, the garachos? You know, the, the Argentine cowboys, hmm. as you call them. And so they were produced into cartoons, and it ended up being this kind of
0: goodwill thing. There was a division between the artists. They were, they were doing a lot of organizing in Hollywood. There are two groups. One group claimed they had my artists. The other artists in the studio come up and said, don't believe him, Walt, we are not with him. This fellow Sorrell, he came in, he said, I have your artists, now I want to make a deal. I said, I hear that you haven't got them. The law says you go for a vote. He said, I don't go for that boat stuff. He says, you sign with me or I'll,
1: I'll strike you. Well, I think that would be the purpose, is to get them in love with American culture and side with Americans. Because, you know, we have Disney. Hitler had Lena Riffenstahl, yeah. which are hilarious films. He eventually got a job with GE. General Electric. General Electric. It was a weekly, it was a nightly show. It's a TV program. Back when TV was brand new,
2: and was not considered all that great at the time, like most actors thought it was like the pits or a very low rent, as you might say.
1: It doesn't really say in the book, but were these live? Mm-hmm. They'd had these actors yeah. come out. And I've seen a few scenes. of them, oh really? Yeah, I didn't realize how hugely popular it was.
2: It was massive. Mm. You know, again, it's been buried by time. I don't think they hold up as much, but I've watched like a few of them. They're a little bit like how Twilight Zone would probably become. They were like real short stories, short plays. And there's some of them were ghost stories and that type of thing. Some were just classic stories, you know. Mm-hmm. And Reagan was the host, but
1: on occasion he would end up in one. Right. He might play the lead role a few times. Right. And then part of his contract with General Electric was that they wanted him to go around and meet all the employees. General Electric had factories and plants practically in... Every state, which is uh, fitting, because about a mile or
2: less than a mile from my house, where we're sitting, is there's a General Electric Aviation factory. Oh, really? Yeah, every time I pass it, I wonder. I wonder if Reagan, what was in that section, it's it's still in operation. Oh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: huh. yeah, it's one of the few factories that the town of Madisonville hasn't run off yet. Huh? Sorry, I make a dig <laughs> at the, the our local politics.
1: Yeah, you know, he had the being the SAG president. You know, the political part, and then I think he really fell in love. For with the people that he would go and and speak with, right, and he
2: would listen to what they had to say because it's one thing to you watch the news and they say, well, the people want this or that, but a lot of times they're not asking the people or they're only asking certain people. But he was actually talking to you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and business owners and managers and you know was hearing the problems they were having and they were all talking about the government hmm. was enc- government. And, yeah was encroaching on their ability to be to sustain financially you know this getting in the way of everything another thing again according to another author this is where his reading really kicked in and where he started to get intellectual backing for some of the things that he maybe he thought already or what people were telling him and that's when he started to read like these uh, great writers like you know history books and the, the economics and different things
1: and i think it was during that time he switched parties right
2: Yeah, I can't remember when it was official. It seemed like it was in the—he was a Democrat up until maybe the late '50s or or something around there. He was starting to vote Republican, though, uh, Um, even as a Democrat. Yeah, and that was—it happened to a lot of Democrats. You know, even up to his presidency, there was a lot of Democrats that were starting to vote more and more Republican. And and there's a lot of other books that document how the Democrat Party, as Reagan would say, left him. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but they definitely drifted more left than. You know, they had been in, in the, the 30s and the 40s when he right. was of age. But there was a huge exit from the Democratic Party in the, in the 70s when the anti-war left and the real hardcore left took over the Democratic Party because there was still a lot of New Deal Democrats that didn't want to have anything to do with the hippies and the the Marxists and all that and, and the extreme feminists and other groups. In the 70s is where there's a famous convention during... When the second... Was it McGovern? Whoever ran against Nixon the second time. And the convention, the, the DNC convention, went way in, late into the night. And they were, because there was so much infighting. Because, again, these special interest groups had really put together their power. Yeah. And were trying to oust the traditional Democrats. And, and there were several candidates that were booed and yelled at. Because, like, maybe one guy was a Catholic pro-life candidate. And... They're shouting him down while he tried to talk. It was bad. It was like a civil war. Yeah, they didn't the, like that, did they? No. And that's when they went with McGovern, who was very far left. They lost a lot of Democrats who, I think they were kind of probably in no man's land for a little while. But as again, as the Democratic Party became a party of special interest, especially on the hardcore political left. They eventually became Republican, I guess, or didn't vote at all. Mm-hmm. So they said a lot of Catholics left. In the 70s, they, you know, the Democrats and the Catholics were hand-in-hand hand up until the 70s, where, especially with the issue of abortion, they jumped. And that's when the Republicans started to sound their pro-life message. I don't even know if they had a pro-life message before that, but they certainly saw the, the political gains to be had by saying, yeah, we're pro-life, by the
0: way. right? With me, abortion is not a problem of religion. It's a problem of the Constitution. I believe that until and unless someone can establish that the unborn child is not a living human being, then that child is already protected by the Constitution which guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to all of us.
1: He eventually, and I don't know how this came about, maybe you know more about it, but he gave a famous speech for Barry Goldwater, when he was running for president. I don't know if it explains the book how he got there, how he got to that point, or why they asked him... To give well, a speech or?
2: what I understand, again, we're not historians, but this speech was a speech he had been making for a while. He had different versions of the same speech, and it was an argument of why against detente with the Soviet Union, because again, the Democrats have had a hard time historically with the Soviet Union. You had FDR, who was very friendly to Joseph Stalin, and even taken with him, thought he was a great guy. Harry Truman, on the other hand, thought he was a, a murderer, and he was. He was a maniac. Even though he was slow to allow investigation of the communists that were in the, the Democratic Party, he definitely, when it came to the Soviet Union, he actually, I didn't realize this until recently, but he threatened to use the nuclear bomb like four times with the Soviet Union because of their meddling with other governments and not allowing the Eastern Bloc to become democratic like they had promised post-World War II. Mm. Anyway... So Reagan was again, as a Democrat, was making this argument that we have to stand up to the Soviet Union just like we did to Hitler, right? Because this thing is only going to metastasize, and you know there's a bunch of people that are living in slavery. To me, it was worse than what Hitler, Stalin killed way more people than Hitler was a amateur compared. The difference is and why it doesn't hang in our minds like it should is I think two reasons. One, Hitler and his goons. Took lots of pictures of their crimes, whereas Stalin and Mao and somewhat Castro—they didn't take many pictures, and some not at all. Especially with Chairman Mao, I mean, so they were smart about it. And the other reason I think is just that there is a tendency in American, especially Hollywood, but also in the mainstream media, to run cover for communist dictatorships because there's a certain amount of sympathy. Because even though there's a lot of people that are in the Democratic Party or liberals or whatever you want to call them, that are not communist and they're not for genocide and all these other things that end up happening, they are sympathetic with you know big government and redistribution, uh, redistribution of wealth, of wealth and, and a lot of socialist kind of ideas. And I would say that admitting that all those things happened under their allies or people that are on the same political uh, side is probably a, a little bit of an omission of, guilt by association or something, but right. Walter Granty, who was a uh, reporter for the New York Times, and he did this big several-part series on the Soviet Union and life in the Soviet Union, how great it was. And you know, people try to make excuses for him that he was duped, because it was during the time of famine and uh, all these you know executions and you know, mass deportations. Did he travel there? Yeah. He went to the what they call Patonkham Villages the show villages. But it was admitted later on that he didn't know everything that was going on. But he was a true believer, as they say, a fellow traveler. Mm. He was a believer in the cause. And there was several other people that they try to say were just duped and didn't know any better, like the singer Paul Robinson, but he did know. Most of them knew the atrocities, but made excuses for it. There were some that especially during the show trials and when Stalin made the pact with Hitler that they were out. Like, that was it. Like that was too much for them. Right. You know. But a lot of them still, uh, Pete Seeger, another musician, you know, he just did what Stalin told him to do.
0: Oh, Franklin Roosevelt told the people how he felt. We damn near believe what he said. He said, I hate war, and so does Ellenor. But we won't be safe till everybody's
1: dead.
2: So, how do we get off of that tangent? Oh, Uh, is still talking about Reagan? Oh, yeah. So, this is a speech he'd been making for a while, especially during his General Electric tours. You know, Goldwater was not very... The camera was not kind to him. He was a little nuts. He's a great mind. I've actually read some of his stuff, but he just would say stuff off the cuff, and he sounded like a nut job. And the ironic thing is, a lot of the things he said he would do as president, President Johnson actually did do, But he, again, is painted as the more sane of the two. Right. And anyway, the campaign was, they were behind in the polls, and someone had the idea, let's pay for airtime and have Reagan give the speech. And I, I think it was said, we nominated the wrong
0: guy. Right. We cannot buy our security, our freedom from the threat of the bomb. By committing an immorality so great as saying to a billion human beings now enslaved behind the Iron Curtain, give up your dreams of freedom. Because to save our own skins, we're willing to make a deal with your slave masters. Alexander Hamilton said a nation which can prefer disgrace to danger is prepared for a master and deserves one.
1: And I guess shortly after that, he got into the politics of California. Of course, eventually became governor. And then I believe he served two terms as governor. And one thing interesting about that was...
2: And all the biographies point this out about Reagan. He did something that he would regret, was he signed a, a relaxing abortion restrictions law. Right. Now, it changed a little bit by the time he finally signed it, but it was basically saying that if it was an, a danger to the mother, right, a baby was a danger to the mother, or it was in, in the case of rape or incest and some other things, kind of the standard thing that even most A lot of pro-lifers agree with, maybe with gritted teeth. But it really weighed heavy on him. And something that Brands doesn't mention, but Edmund Morris does mention in his book Dutch, is he signed the bill and just really felt like he had done something wrong. I don't know if it was later that week or within a a short time span, they had a, a staff garden party at the governor's mansion. And while they were having their party, a black child, a little girl, had fell into the swimming pool and was drowning. And Reagan jumped in the water and saved her before anybody realized what had happened. And there's a picture in Edmund Morris's book with the girl that he saved. And in Reagan's mind, that was almost like a gift from, He signed this bill that potentially might kill some innocent fetuses as a result of a rape or something. But he would become, at least in words,
0: more pro-life the older he got. Those people told you for days in advance that if the university sought to go ahead with that construction... They were going to physically destroy the university. Now why did you negotiate many times? Negotiate? What is to negotiate? What is... The university is a public institution. That's right. But the university... Its own community and for the community of Berkeley that live around it. All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better, let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest,
2: okay so Reagan was governor. The only thing that kind of stands out to me that would be significant to his presidency later on was protests the anti war yes stuff yep. at college campuses, which they were paralyzing college campuses in California, like at berkeley he didn 't back down at all, in fact, he physically went and surprised them at one protest. I yeah, he showed up, and and right behind went the main guy with the bullhorn. And the guy with the bullhorn turned around and saw Reagan standing behind him and was so stunned, he just handed the bullhorn to Reagan. really? <laughs> yeah, and Reagan started to talk. And I, I don't remember what he said exactly, but I remember his argument why he sent like, the National Guard in to get these students under control, yeah, because they were a minority of students, for one thing. Think about if me and you, especially as lower working class Folks, you know, we paid to go to college, and these guys, and they're all rich kids, let's just be honest, mm-hmm. that are shutting down the campuses for whatever reason. And destroying stuff. Destroying stuff. Was built with taxpayer money. You know, it's, it's not fair, and, it, and it's fascism. It's minority putting their will over the majority, undemocratically, of course. And the same stuff's going on today. Yeah, exactly. So, I'd say that was a good test. And, you know, knowing Reagan, and I know he was a big fan of Calvin Coolidge... And I just read one of his biographies recently by Amity Schles, and when he was was a governor of one of the states, and the state eludes me now, but there was a moment where the police in one city—I want to say Boston—they went on a strike, and it was illegal. The whole city descended into chaos. People were being robbed and raped and murdered, and that was just the horses. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he fired those horses. <laughs> And Reagan again had a sense of history. Again, this would echo later on to his own presidency several times, and we'll talk about that. But yeah, he didn't back down. He didn't back down, and he might have seemed like the old jerk, but I agree with him on that. And I think there have been some protests that have been quelled in a wrong way or a way that made things worse. Right. But I don't think, at least well, from my understanding, uh, they did it in a way that was. It didn't end up like Kent State, where you know students were shot. Yeah. So. After the governorship, he started looking at the presidency. Right. And lots of problems there because of Nixon and all his troubles. Ford became vice president after Spiro Agnew was ousted for corruption. Nixon's a vice president. You know, Ford was just like the next guy in line, basically, to to be president. After he actually became president, but as far as the party, the Republican Party was concerned. And Reagan did run against him. And... Got close, but not close enough. It might have been fortunate for Reagan because the Republican Party did not look good at that time. You know, they had Nixon, obviously a criminal, for pardon the criminal.
1: Right. That didn't go over. No, well and
2: at I all. and I agree. It didn't. It shouldn't have went over well because I feel like every politician should be held to the same standards as me and you, and a lot of our politicians get away with all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. and it's wrong. So I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat you know, you should have the same consequences, Right. Uh, or else we end up like a certain country I lived in, <laughs> where there is no consequences for the politicians. Right. So he waited out, he had a radio show, mm-hmm. which there are little two-minute speeches, commentary on different things, politics of course, sometimes he would take stabs at Jimmy Carter or even Ford without saying names about certain policies. Back in
0: 1927, an American socialist Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said the American people would never vote for socialism. But he said under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program.
1: Yeah, because I think he started that because he really enjoyed the FDR's fireside chats. He channeled him right. a lot. We can't
2: understate how much of an influence FDR was on Reagan, in he spite tried. of eventually Reagan undoing a lot of what FDR came up with. As Trying a pop- to, anyway. Then the Jimmy Carter
1: years. High unemployment, high inflation, oil prices going through the roof, gas shortages. On the
2: international scene, you know, Carter was big on diplomacy and, and detente and trying to work with our enemies, and maybe they'll be they'll be nice if we're nice to them. And I, I know I'm mocking him, and I should, probably shouldn't, because I, I'm sure he had good intentions. Right. But he definitely misjudged human condition, especially the Soviets.
1: Do you want to explain detente?
2: I can't remember who came up with it first. Maybe I hear it hung on Henry Kissinger's doorstep, who was was the Secretary of State mm-hmm. uh, during the Nixon years, and he just kind of said, "Listen, there's no way we can defeat the, the Soviet Union and their all their puppets. Let's just contain them, or, or work with them, or you know try to get the best deal we possibly can, and just let it go at that. All right,
1: not be uh, strict with them.
2: Well, I don't know if he came out and said that, but that's what ended up happening. We we didn't hold them to the to the treaties that they signed. Right,
1: because they were violating them left and right. Oh, yeah.
2: And Carter was more of the same. And and that's another thing i I like to point out with is that when it came to politics and economics and really foreign policy, Nixon and Carter were very similar. They were both big government guys. They thought Mm -hmm. the government could fix a lot of things. They were micromanagers, especially Carter. Of course, Reagan would be the opposite maybe to a fault. but they're really the same animal in a lot of ways and made a lot of the same mistakes and you know Nixon messed up the the economy before Carter with pr- price controls right and different things like that which never work <laughs> they work temporarily maybe because yeah,
1: you eliminate competition they
2: didn't learn anything from FDR and, the, and what a lot of economists think the you know FDR extended the Great Depression longer than it needed to be mm. you know by trying to control everything right but anyway so the detente did not serve Nixon or Ford or Carter well, and especially with Carter because he made a deal with the Soviets, and then they turned around and invaded Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But also, they were continuing to you know, fund revolutions and supply arms to terrorist organizations all over the world.
1: They had their, their tentacles in. Central America, South America, the Caribbean. They tried to get into our neighborhood. And interestingly enough, Carter did
2: reverse himself with, again, the detente. he started to actually back some of the, the governments that the, the Soviets were trying to topple. And a lot of them were, I'd say, dictatorial, maybe soft dictatorships, you might call them. It was things that Reagan would be criticized heavily for. He discontinued the policy that Carter started. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Carter and Reagan because, you know, it's like you got two groups of people, they're both bad, But one's just extremely, extremely worse. You know, if the Soviets had been successful in the places that that they had taken over, based on other places where they were successful, just expect genocide and and starvation. Even my own wife's country, I mean to this day they are still suffering from what the Soviets had set up. The guy they put in power, the guy they helped, and he's still in power, It is awful. So it's one of those difficult things like who do you side with when there's both are bad, but obviously you have to be practical and go with the guy that's less bad. Right. The guy that maybe you can control a little
0: bit or exert some influence with. Right. Some 60 Americans, including our fellow citizen whom you just saw bound and blindfolded, are now beginning their sixth day of captivity inside the U.S. embassy in Tehran.
2: And then we should mention the the Iran hostages, because that was a giant embarrassment that the uh, Iranian students that took
1: over—they um, overran the embassy.
2: And again, I don't yeah, it's necessarily Carter's fault. And he he seemed to try to get him out. And of course, they sent a couple helicopters in that was not suited for
1: desert conditions.
2: Yeah, and they went down. So again, I, I know Carter gets beat up for that, and I'm not sure if he's exactly to blame. Obviously, I think he
1: had a lot of good intentions, but yeah. a lot of the things, a lot of his good intentions backfired on him big time.
2: That was the state of the world. And it can't be overstated that the Soviet Union was expanding. Mm. Okay, we'll stop there and pick up next time, finally, actually in the 1980s. And if you're curious about Reagan, he's come up in conversation before, particularly on In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 110, when we talked about his receiving the ire of three of the four Ramones. The In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by A Closet, a Pocket, and a Suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram using the name Spun Counter Guy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticat.com.